Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Would you take your Bibles, open them to Hebrews chapter 11 and Joshua chapter 6. A Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Victory Came. And we could easily title this, By Faith, Victory Comes, because God promises victory to the believer. Victory is yours and mine to enjoy by faith. Notice with me in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30, where we left off. It says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. You know, the life of faith is a progressive one. We live from faith to faith. We go from episode of faith to faith. God is building character in our lives. It isn't the type of life, this life of faith, where you come to a place and you say, oh, well, I remember the good old days. Like you come to a place where you no longer take steps of faith, but rather you look backwards the good old days, remember when, and then you begin to describe a time in your life that is so much better than today. No, the good old days are today, what God is doing in our life right now. Listen, God wants me to remind us. He wants us to be reminded. He wants me to remind you that he is still at work in your life. No matter what you're facing right now, what's going on, God is at work. He's fashioning and shaping and molding you into the image of Christ. It's true. God has done great things in the past, for sure. But we live today knowing that the best is yet to come, that God is still moving us, and our best days are ahead, not behind us. And we learn that God takes us from faith to faith, just like the children of Israel. We've been studying the life of Moses And we see how faith, miraculous faith, surrounded him while he was still even in the womb. And then every stage of his life, even if there were a few failures or or so, God was there encouraging, strengthening, and drawing out faith. Till finally, Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt. And miraculously, they come through the Red Sea, And unfortunately, they spend the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of their unbelief. Well, that wandering is over now when we come to verse 30. And a new generation is entering in. And if you turn over to Joshua, we know in Joshua chapter 3, there's the miraculous crossing of the Jordan River. And it's true. There is the miraculous work of God over and over again. They come through the Red Sea, and then God preserves them and gives them manna and they have clothes every day. God provides for them the cloud by day, the fire by night. They come to the Jordan River. They cross it at flood stage miraculously. Then they put the memorial stones in chapter 4 so that they would always remember the faithfulness of God. Then they come to chapter 5 and in chapter 5 verse 2, God tells Joshua to have all the men circumcised. And to that you say, whoa, But God was teaching them something, that before before they enter in, they need to learn obedience. They need to catch up on what was neglected. Maybe that's you today. 
God is calling you back to obedience, and perhaps it's painful, but you need to catch up on what you've been neglecting. You need to catch up in that place of what maybe was even neglected in your life. And you need to meet Jericho, as they'll see in a moment, chapter 6. You need to meet Jericho in a position of obedience. You need to be ready for the work of God in your life. And maybe it requires something hard, something difficult, as it was with circumcision. And so they come in, in chapter 6, and notice in verse 1 it says, Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. Now, the children of Israel entering into the land of Canaan, Canaan is a picture of the Christian's life. I know in some of the songs and hymnology of the past, Canaan somehow represented heaven in those songs. Biblically, the promised land does not refer to heaven. The promised land, Canaan refers to the Christian's life, a life filled with battles and warfare and challenges. You see, God has victory for you, but victory doesn't come without a fight. Victory isn't experienced without a fight. And it seems like there's battle after battle after battle after battle. Can I get an amen on that? Is that true? You just go from faith to faith, but we also go from what? Fight to fight. Now, I'm not talking about the fight between us, you know, and difficulties with people, but rather the spiritual fight of faith. You see, living in the will of God does not come without a fight. As it's once been said, living on earth is a battleground, not a playground. And I'm sure you've heard it said before that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I love that. I'm so encouraged to know that God is for me, not against me. That he has removed all the guilt and shame and forgiven me of my sins. That he loves me, has a plan and purpose for my life and yours. It's true. We can celebrate that. But we also have to understand that as God loves us and has a wonderful plan for our lives, the devil hates you and has a horrible plan for your life. That he is out to get you in a real way. That the threefold enemy that you and I face, the world, the system, the culture, our flesh, our old sinful habit patterns, and the devil are real. And he loves to orchestrate the world system to provoke and tempt your flesh, and then he just leaves it up to us. No, you're in a battle, church. Satan hates you. He wants to distract you from what's important. He wants to disrupt your faith. Ultimately, he's come, as the Bible says, to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants you as a believer to be weak and feeble and ineffective. He wants you living in unbelief. He wants you worried and anxious about things you have of which no control over. He wants you fighting the wrong battles on the wrong side of the... uh, He wants you fighting the wrong battles with the wrong army using the wrong weapons. He ultimately wants to take you out. He doesn't want you relying upon Jesus. He doesn't want you in fellowship with other believers. He doesn't want you reading the Bible. He doesn't want you reaching others with the gospel. He wants your marriages ruined. He wants your kids shattered. And he'll take you as miserable and as depressed as he can get you. Anything and everything but growing strong spiritually. You're engaged in a spiritual war, church. When you were born again, whether they told you or not, I'm telling you now. When you were born again, you chose sides. 
and the choosing. You said that I am following Jesus, that I am denying myself, taking up my cross, and my loyalties are to Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. You chose sides. You jumped into the battle. And because you chose sides, there is opposition continually, constantly. As much as the Lord is leading us from faith to faith, the enemy's tempting us with fight after fight. You chose sides. You declared war. You enlisted as a soldier. Even as Paul told young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. It's a good fight. Laying a hold of eternal life, he said. But you got to make sure you're fighting the right fight. I find so many times believers are involved in fights they have no business involved with. You need to be on the right side of what God is doing. Aligned with Him, abiding in Him, trusting Him, His sufficiency, His power, His strength. The spiritual battle that we're in is a good fight. It's worth every ounce of energy you can muster up. Why? Because salvation is at stake. The souls of men and women. Because despite the attacks, people are still getting saved. Marriage are still being rescued. People are still getting sober. Lives are changing, and it's worth it. And now we find in a very practical way a reminder that victory comes by faith. That's how victory comes. It doesn't come by your strategies and your strategic attempts to fight a battle. Victory always comes by faith. Never any other way. And notice with me again in verse 1, it says, Jericho was securely shut up because the children of Israel. None went out, none came in. Now we know why they were shut up because Rahab had shared with us earlier, we'll get back to it because it's kind of out of order, but we'll get to Rahab next time. But Rahab had shared with the spies that the people of Jericho heard all about God. They, they knew all about his power, all about his strength, and their concern. So they shut the city down. And as that, verse 2, the Lord, Jehovah, says to Joshua, and Joshua is the leader that is taken over from Moses, God says to Joshua, see I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now pause there. If you'd like to write in your Bibles, circle the phrase, I have given Jericho. And right next to it, this is a promise of God. A lot of times people look at the Bible and go, I don't understand you, but you say the Bible's filled with promises. Where are they? This is one of them. God told Joshua, I, look, I want you to see this. Of everything that you see, Joshua, the high walls, the intimidation, the fear, the concerns, everything that you see, Joshua, with your eyes physically, I want you to see this spiritually. I have given that city to you. It is yours. It is a done deal. I will be the one that gives you Jericho. It's not your responsibility. It's not on your shoulders, Joshua. This is a promise of God. I know as of late, you know, in the last few years, there was this big popular movement called Promise Keepers. I think it's actually come back. And I I think it's great and encouraging to encourage us to see the promises of God and keep them. But you know, the Bible doesn't place the emphasis on us to be promise keepers. Do you know the emphasis in the Bible is God the promise giver and God the promise keeper? So that when he gives a promise... He keeps it 100%. 
that we can trust in him. Like you put the emphasis on us, you know, sometimes I'm a promise keeper, sometimes I'm a promise breaker. It's, I can't deliver 100%, but I can assure you this. When God gives a promise, he keeps it 100% of the time. I love it. It's so good for us and good for our heart. So here he is telling Joshua, look, I know Jericho's scary. I know you're anxious. I'm, but listen, see this with your eyes of faith. I've given you Jericho. Now, verse 3, here's how. Here's how it's all going to go down. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. Then it shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. And the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up every man straight before him. And so Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant. And then he begins to give the instructions. It's time for the children of Israel to take what belongs to them. The land has been promised to them all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, but the land will not be taken without a fight. And this is the strategic plan of God. He tells Joshua, I want you to go and I want you to take the city. I've already given it to you. And here's what he says. Number one, I want you to get the armed men and walk around the city for six days. Okay, we can do that. It's kind of interesting, but we can do that. Okay, what are we going to do next? Number two, get the priests involved and make sure they blow the horns. Make sure the priests are blowing the horns with the Ark of the Covenant. Got people in front and behind. Okay, Lord, and what's next? Well, on the seventh day, walk a little longer and tell everybody to yell. Okay, let me get this straight. Walk around the wall? Yes. Blow some trumpets? Yes. Take the Ark of the Covenant? Yes. Blow up the walls? No. Get out our weapons? No. Matter of fact, I want you to tell the people to be quiet, as we'll see in a moment. Don't say a word. And on the seventh day, you're going to walk around a little bit more. You're going to blow a long blast. Then you're going to tell the people to yell, and the walls will come tumbling down. Now, if this has never happened to you, it will. You have an issue on your heart. You are faced with a Jericho. Allow, today, allow Jericho today to be an insurmountable, impossible situation in your life. Let it be a city filled with enemies. Let it be a city, let it be a situation that needs to be conquered. Let it be a situation that only God can give you the victory in. Certainly we all face those. So what do we do? We come and we ask God to help us. And our hearts cry with tears and anguish. God, we need your help. I don't know what's going to happen. Jericho's before us. We have, no, we, we have nowhere to turn. We turn to you, Lord. And when he answers, it's, his answer is so out there, so different, so not anything. I mean, the phrase that we would probably use today is that God gives you an answer that's so outside of the box 
that you're like, no way, that can't march around the city. Like, this is war, man. Give me some strategy of war. Let me talk to a general. Let me pick up a book of a guy that won a war or two so that we can have victory and we can help you, God, with the victory. And God says, no, I don't need your help. I've given you the city. And this is what I want from you. I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. And sometimes that trust is drawn out with an answer that is so beyond your thinking that now you're being asked not only to trust him in the victory, but listen, to trust him in the process. To trust him with each step. You have to think that as they were walking around the wall, that each step they took was a step of faith. Faith. One step. Faith. Another step. Faith. They were not only exercising faith in God, but they were also learning to exercise faith in Joshua. Because this wouldn't be the first battle. Let me me show you what I mean. Would you turn over to Isaiah chapter 55 with me? We mention this verse a lot, but I want you to see it in your Bibles or on your iPad or your phone. You guys online or on the radio, you've got to see this. I want you to mark it, circle it, put a star next to it in your Bible, or if you need to mark it on your Bible app, you need to do this because we use this verse a lot, but I want to show you the address. I want you to know where it is in your Bible because this is true. In Isaiah chapter 55 in verse 8, Isaiah 55 verse 8, this is especially important when you want to take things into your own hands. This is especially important when the direction or the counsel or the scripture or the insight is so out of the box that it doesn't even seem to make sense when, when you think, no, this is the time to speak up. And God says, no, this is not the time to speak up. And you go, wait a minute. I've spoken up every other time, God. And God says, no, my ways, notice, my thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. He says, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Look, you're not going to learn how to wage war by buying a book from an army general. You're not going to learn how to wage spiritual war by buying a book. You go, and then you go into war and go, why did you get defeated? You go, well, because I listened to that guy that uh, I bought that book. And, and God's saying, I don't want you to listen to guys that are writing books. I want you to listen to me. I want you to learn and train yourself to hear my voice. Because my ways are not your ways. I know you think you have it figured out. I know you've measured things. I know you've got the calculator out and you've run all the numbers. But God says, my ways are not your ways. You need to look to me. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And listen, church, like Joshua, we need to be trained to hear the voice of the Lord, to understand his ways, even if and especially when they're so different than what we thought. We do not need to train our ears to hear the voice of our pastor. God's ways are bigger than your pastor. We don't need to train our ways and train our ears to hear the voice of some video, some radio guy, somebody out there. Those are not the voices you need to hear. You need to hear the voice of God. And once you know the voice of God, you'll know if a pastor sounds like God. You'll know if that YouTube video actually sounds like God. And you go, well, wait a minute, Ed. What are the ways and the thoughts of God? Well, the good news is, is he wrote them down for us. We know the ways and the thoughts of God from his word. 
God is not training us to follow a man. He's training us to trust him with the men and women he's put in our lives. We follow Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. He's the one that died for your sins. And you and I make a grave error when we follow man and we look to man. That's not the will of God. We need to be trained to hear the voice of the Lord. As we learn in Revelation, Jesus said it seven times. He said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saying to the church. God is speaking. We have to grasp this. Otherwise, we'll live our lives in our own understanding and our own wisdom, and we'll call it God. I see this happen all the time. I see this, like, behaviors happening. You go, where'd you get that from? Well, you know, God told me. But it's, no, God already told you not to do that in, your, in his word. Like, you're going directly against the ways of God. So, and so believers, they love to make up, followers of Christ love to make up actions and then say God told them. Then they blame God for the failure. God, God is not the reason for failure. It could be you didn't hear the Lord and you were looking to someone other than God for your direction. You've got to learn to fight the real battle that's before you, the good fight of faith, to be in the right battle fighting with the right army using the right weapons. There's no other way. Disaster is at the end of bad decisions. Alan Redpath, in commenting on this section, said this, and I quote, I believe that before God entrusts any of his people with a real measure of spiritual power, victory, and blessing, that he brings them to a place from where they have surveyed Jericho so long that they have come to see that its conquest is absolutely hopeless. God expects nothing more from us than failure. Yet we spend years trying to make ourselves something other than a failure. So long as we think we can do it alone, the omnipotent resources of God in Jesus Christ, our risen Lord, cannot help us. Don't be offended by the word failure because I think in the context, if he was writing it in modern language today, I think he would say something like this. God expects nothing more from us than failure in our own strength. Whenever we take things into our own hands with our own wisdom, I mean, this is so important that, that God made, I, I, so important in my life that one of the first scriptures I ever memorized. It's actually the scripture I write in the little Bible that I give so that like when little Mason gets to read his Bible, he will see the scripture I wrote in there for him. Proverbs chapter three, verses five and six, that I learned at an early age and I'm still learning like you are. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. There is no other way. I need to trust him. And it's the Jerichos in life, the impossibilities, the ones where we come up in a possibility and go, I know it's hard, I know it's difficult, but I'll get through it. No, you won't. Only by faith will the walls of Jericho fall in your life. Notice verse six now. Joshua goes and he gives the direction. He says, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed, march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was, verse 8, when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced 
blew the trumpets, and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the Ark, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. And that just reminds us a couple things. Number one, remember this was the same counsel Moses gave years earlier. Stand still, see the salvation of God, and then what did he say? Hold your peace. The Lord will fight for you. And as Pastor Chuck Smith taught us many times, he says, look, when you're facing an enemy and people are coming against you and difficulties are pressing in on you, you have a choice. Number one, your choice is to take things into your own hands and defend yourself. And if you choose that route, God will allow you to defend yourself. You'll be a poor defender of yourself, but he'll allow you to do that. And you'll find more trouble and more difficulty and go, but Ed, Ed, they're saying this and they're writing this and they're posting this. I know. You can choose to defend yourself or the second choice is you can allow God to be your defender and you can be quiet and you can be silenced. Not until God gives you the word are you to say anything and allow God to defend you. Let me just say for those of you that are in a position today where it's unfair and it's unjust and there are slander and lies and all kinds of things being said about you. Let me just remind you, as God being your defender, time is on your side. Time is on your side. You know why? Because time reveals the truth. So be patient. Be patient. Oh, but Ed, it's been years. (laughs) Time is on your side. Time is always on the side of truth. And so you can see why you become impatient. You can see how the enemy will goad you. And there'll be this thing over here. And now it's getting worse. And especially if it's within a family, then it's really hard and very difficult. But if you allow God to be your defender, trust me, but more so trust him. He will be the best defender that you've ever had in your life. He will cover you, protect you. You just keep a singular purpose. Keep your eyes on him. Enjoy fellowship with him and whatever you do. And you guys that were with us when we studied through 1 Samuel and all the times David was tempted to take things into his own hands, don't take things. Don't lean on your own understanding. You in your own strength cannot defeat Jericho. It's not going to happen. You can't do it. Your best strategies, your best plans, your, the, the resources, you don't have enough. It's impossible Because God said he's going to give it to you. So wait for him. And do what he's asked you to do in obedience. Learn to walk around your Jericho silently. Today. Tomorrow. For these guys it was seven days. For you it might be seven years. But walk. Carefully. Quietly. Building trust with every step. Nothing's happening, Ed. I've been doing this, and there's a lot happening. You just don't see it. There's a lot going on behind the scenes. You just don't recognize it yet. You know, remember, church, there's always the physical and the spiritual. And we get caught up with the physical. Oh, man, Jericho's so big, so high, 50 feet high walls, this so thick that they could have chariot races on top of it. Oh, it's so big. It's so impossible. 
but the people of God. To me, this is so amazing. Notice verse 12. Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. The armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp, and so they did six days. Can I just say, this is a beautiful, beautiful picture of unity. It's, this is unity at its best. They're learning how to trust God. They're learning how to trust their leadership. And they're together doing the same thing. These guys are following the plan. They're doing what God's asked them, what God's commanded them to do. And there's unity. Can I just say there's nothing more beautiful in the church, in our church, in other churches, as unity in the Spirit. It's beautiful. We can make so much progress when we are unified, but we are out of it when the enemy can get us divided and get us against each other, nitpicking and upset and infighting. You know, sometimes the world looks at the church and they just shake their head and they go, look at these guys. They can't even get along on the simplest of matters. And, and fortunately, there are times when the world, the people in this world can look on the church and see disunity, they see factions, they, they see so much that do not bring an attraction to the unity that's found in Jesus Christ. But when there's unity, it's beautiful and it's powerful. You know, one of the places of unity that I think is really cool that we get to practice all the time is when we gather together in the same room and we sing together. Have you ever considered that? We sing the same songs pretty much at the same tempo and key, although there are different layers of that in the room. And sometimes you can hear people making a, uh, a joyful noise unto the Lord. That's okay. But think about it. Where, where else do you sing with other people? I mean, other than maybe your family in the car, where else do you sing with people? Where else do you sing of the praises and the glory? Like if you were to go on a short-term mission trip and you visited a church, you know what you would do with them? Sing. Even if you don't know the language, you will sing with people in another language. You will enjoy the unity of singing the same words with the same tempo. Like God wants unity in his church. He wants us to lay aside the petty differences and the things that we make so important and to remain unified in the essentials. We need to, as we've said here, we need to learn as, as a church to lock shields. We're fighting the same battle. We're fighting a spiritual battle, but it's not with other believers. There is a wickedness and darkness in our world. And even then, we're not fighting people anyway, the Bible says. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's not about other people. We're fighting for people and their souls. Church, the division among us, the division among the church is not pretty. This is pretty. This is beautiful. They're together even though they don't understand everything, even though maybe they don't like everything. These are armed men. It says in the beginning, these are guys that, that at least have some kind of training. I mean, they're not military professionals, but they were charged to protect the people, and they're told, just walk around. What? Walk around. And you guys, I want you to carry the, the Ark of the Covenant and blow your horn. That's what I want you to do. No, man, that's not how we win wars. No, we, we win wars by obeying God. That's how we win. And if God says to walk, then walk. 
If he says to circle, then circle. If he says to blow the horn, blow the horn. If he says to hold your peace, hold your peace. And there's unity here. And I wonder how the people of Jericho, I wonder how they were viewing this, looking over the wall perhaps and watching them, just waiting. When's it going to be? When's it going to be? When's it going to be? But all they're doing is walking. The people of God obeying, even though they had no idea what God was doing. So many times God is doing the same thing in your life, asking you to obey even though you have no idea what he's doing. You have no idea what's being worked out behind the scenes. Notice in verse 15, it came to pass, this is Joshua 6, on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day, and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it was so, when the priest blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, keep yourselves from the accursed things, lest you become accursed and take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver, gold, vessels of bronze, iron, they're set apart, consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priest blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Why did the wall fall, fall down flat? Because God said he was giving the city. This is the promise fulfilled. It says the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they utterly destroyed everything that was in the city. This battle was so completely God's and all in God's hands. He required from this battle that all the spoils of the battle come to him. Everything that was taken belonged to the Lord. It was his victory. They weren't to touch anything. They, it was off limits. Even today, the inheritance of faith is ours. All that God has promised. God has brought us in so that he might, he has brought us out so that he might bring us in. He's delivered us so that he might lead us into his promises. Ours is not a life of wandering. Ours is not a life meant to be lived in compromise, playing around one foot in the world, one foot in the church. It's, our life is not intended to be playing games with obedience. Our lives are not to be having ears to hear over here, to be tickled over there, and to follow this man and see this movement. Oh, we were born and we live to see victory by faith. The high-walled cities, 50 feet high, 25 feet wide, impregnable, impossible. And God says, I want you to trust me. That city's not bigger than me. Not bigger than me. And here you are and here I am together, worshiping God in the room, online, in the overflow. Here we are. And so many Jerichos are in this room with us. I mean, impossible situations, impregnable so high, so wide, that we shake our heads in fear. We come to him and we go, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this, Ed. And you come to me for advice, and I respond the same way. I don't know how you're going to deal with this. We need to pray. I don't know how this situation is going to be resolved. I don't know how you're going to break that addiction. 
I don't know how your heart's going to be healed after it's been broken and hurt. You come to me and say, but pastor, I've paid thousands and thousands of dollars to professionals, counselors. I've spoken to every pastor on staff here, and I've gone to a couple other churches and talked to their pastors too. I've gone from church to church. I read my Bible every day. I prayed, and I just can't do it. I just can't do it. And if God has brought you to those words, I just can't do it. Let me tell you, friend, those are the words that precede faith. God's bringing you to the end of yourself so that finally you throw up your hands and go, I can't do it. I can't do it. I I don't know. Pastor doesn't know. I don't know. People I look to don't know. I, I just don't know what to do. Those are the words that precede a faithful reliance upon God. You may see those words and feel like a failure, but those words are the greatest words leading to success that you could ever have. Says, I don't know. I'm not sure. I've been living this way forever. I've tried to get help, but the final words just before faith is I can't do it. It's too big. It's impossible. But God says, I've given it to you. God says, victory is yours. God says the way you win is by trusting me. And not only that, the battle you're in right now, the Jericho you're facing right now, listen, the way you win, the way you're being trained to win this Jericho will help you on every other battle you face. Because you're going to go from one battle, go victory, victory, victory. Sometimes when your hands are up in victory, boom, the next battle's right behind it. Come to the left and come to the right. And as you're being trained by faith to win this one, it's for the next one. And it's for the next one. The current crisis we're in right now is going to pass. And how you respond to this crisis will prepare you for the next one. If you're disobedient now, what makes you think you'll be obedient later? God is going to bring you back to the place of going, no, we need to go back to basics. Return to your first love. Remember from where you have fallen, the Bible says. Repent and repeat the first works. If you learn your lesson here, it will serve you well the rest of your life and give you the right context for every single battle in your life. It's not you. You're not going to win the battle. It's not you and God. It's not God and you. Victory comes from the Lord. Victory belongs to the Lord. It's His way. It has to be His way. You will experience victory no other way. It's only His way. Listen, church, it's different for us as believers. It's different. Things have changed now that you're a follower in Christ. It's different. You can't fight the way you used to fight. I don't want you to be surprised. You fight the battle. You go and take the enemy with the way you want to fight, with your weapons. You go fight the enemy on his territory. I don't want you surprised when you go after the enemy in his territory if he pulls out weapons against you that you didn't know he had. You're on the wrong battlefield, fighting the wrong way. The enemy doesn't have to keep any rules, right? He can play dirty. He can use weapons that we can't use. He can manipulate. He can lie. He can deceive. There's a lot of things our enemy can do that we are off limits for us. No, what our weapon is? By faith. Trusting God. They go, well, that's not much of a weapon. No, it's the best weapon you could possibly have. Trusting God with your life. Just as much as you trust him for your salvation of your soul, you can trust him to fight your battles. 
We don't fight the world the way the world does with the weapons or the schemes or the strategies of the world. Because if we did and we did experience some kind of victory, you know what would happen? Man would take the credit. Look at my battle. Look at my weapons. Look how strong we are. Look at us. No, no. When the, when, when the world looks at the church, they don't see us. They need to see Jesus among us. And Jesus himself said, he couldn't have made it clearer. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my people would fight. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. There's a greater kingdom coming. And my people aren't going to fight like you guys do. They're not going to jump into the mud. You know, sometimes you jump into fights that aren't yours. It's not wise. The Proverbs say it's like taking a dog by the ears. But also think about it. You know, when you jump in the mud to fight with someone in the mud, usually you're, all that happens is you get dirty. And the other person loves it. That's why they wanted you to fight on their territory. You jump in and, oh, I'll take it, I'll take it. And all of a sudden, you lose your testimony. You lose your testimony of love. You lose a compassionate heart. You lose your faith. You lose when you take things into your own hands. And so what? We see problems around us. There are many Jerichos around us. We have crisis after crisis. We have the political issues of our culture. We have the economy. We have family issues. We have problems around us. We have viruses. We have overreach of government. We have all of these things. And the question is, are we going to jump in and try? No, we don't jump in and try. We stand and trust. God's going to take care of this stuff. He's been faithful in the past. He's faithful now, and he'll be faithful in the future. God says, don't jump in. Instead, follow me. Stay close to me. Because listen, if it's not now, if it's not now, it will be soon enough. Because there are those times in everyone's life where God removes everything and everyone so that we might look to him. Every comfort everything we've relied upon, everything we've enjoyed, so that now it's just us and him with the choice to trust. Jerichos are scary, especially when you have two or three of them. They're intimidating. They incite anxiety in us. We have that fight or flight, you know, we want to run away. We want to be done with it. But Jerichos are faith building. They are those tools that God uses to develop the inner man and the inner woman, they make us look to Jericho. And it's Joshua that says, shout. And as finally you shout to the Lord, the walls come down. But today, friends, we have a greater than Joshua. Joshua is just a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, his sacrifice on the cross his victory over death, his resurrection is the triumph for all humanity. And that today, if you turn away from your sins, God will give you the forgiveness that you've longed for. You're looking for the triumph in your marriage, you've got to look to the cross. You're looking for the triumph with your prodigals, you've got to look to the cross. You're looking for the triumph with your bank account, you've got to look to the cross. You're looking for the triumph and all the governmental issues and all the things and the all. You've got to look to the cross. That 
is where victory lies. Jesus defeated sin and death, so much so that he promised that the gates of hell would not prevail against the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. And I know it's scary and intimidating. And I know you don't quite know what to do, but that's the best place to be because it forces you to lay aside everything that you've trusted in and to put your full force and weight in trusting God one more time. Amen? Father, thank you for the privilege of being reminded of victory. We know that victory comes by faith. So that even as we come to this final song today, we're reminded of your victory. It's hard, God. We just acknowledge to you today it's hard. It's challenging. We are more and more aware. I'm more and more aware of my humanity, God. My fears and anxieties, my concerns, broken hearts and broken lives. And I just pray over our church today, God. I just, I sense there are marriages hanging in the balance right now. I just believe that's a word from the Lord. And I pray over your marriages right now. I pray that you would, that you would bring the needed change in the husband, in the wife, so that marriage becomes a testimony. Like when we were talking about unity, it's actually not even unity in the church. It's unity in marriages, that there needs to be a oneness. <clears throat> a love, a submission, a mutual submission. I pray that oneness and unity in the marriages right now, God. That there would just be a sense, just die to yourself. Take up your cross. Follow. And if you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to do just that. Today's the day. So if you're here, you go, you know what? I need my sins forgiven. I want to ask you right where you're at. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray with you. Like, this is the time where God says, you know, lots of great things about fights and battles and stuff, but the real battle is for your soul. And Jesus Christ has won the victory. If you'll just come to him today and repent of your sins, the Bible says you will be saved. Believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you need to be saved? Do you acknowledge that? then let's do business with your soul today between you and God. Just stand to your feet. I want to pray with you. Of course, you guys online, maybe you were invited over for a watch party, and here you are, and God has spoken right to your heart because he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants you to be in relationship with him. Here you are tooting along on I-25 listening to the radio, (laughs) and God knew exactly where you were, exactly what he wanted to do, what radio dial you'd be on, and here we are. God is inviting you into relationship. For the sake of us in the room, you know, it lets us be a part of it. So if you're here in the room, acknowledge publicly that you desire to follow Jesus today. And what a joy you'd give us to be able to come alongside of you and pray with you and encourage you to follow him. Is there anyone here? Say, Ed, that's me. It's a high and holy moment, you know. It's so good. I just keep hearing and reading. Are you responding? Well, praise God. I'm going to pray with you in a moment. That's good. I've been reading. Listen, check this out. This is perfect. I've been reading and watching these things. Oh, the church is being held back. Oh, the church is being silenced. Oh, the church. Don't believe them. It's not true. 
God is not withheld. He's not held back. He's almighty God. He is omnipotent. He is greater than human government, greater, like, he is greater. And you're witnessing right now, even one young man saying, I want to follow Jesus. So pray with me, would you? Say, God, I admit that I've sinned against you, and I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I've decided to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.